Hi, all. This is Jordan, the owner and CEO of Greaser Consulting. On this call, we've got Pavel, the VP of Data Science from Outreach, and it was fascinating. So many things in sales feel like they're subjective. One person says it's this way, another person says it's that way. And I had an opportunity to talk to somebody who has spent the last four years with a team of data sciences, crunching the numbers on things like call data, email data, outreach, plays, the different tasks that moves things to meetings or through meetings. And he's able to shed some light in areas that uh, maybe it's not as subjective as we thought it was. Uh, you're gonna get some fascinating uh, maybe not statistics specifically, but just outcomes of what the data has been saying. Uh, for example, one of his big takeaways is that any response is a good response unless it's an unsubscribe. So getting somebody to write back to you, send you an objection, actually shows interest. And so once you get that in your frame of mind, you recognize that the best reps aren't the ones that just spend a lot of time writing an email, they wait for that positive response, and then they're off to the races. They're the ones that any response that they get in their inbox, whether positive, negative, neutral, whatever, so long as it's not an unsubscribe, they're the ones that are actually winning the day. And so it's not reps that write really good first emails that tend to be getting the best results. It's the ones that handle objections really well. And uh, anyway, this is just one of the key points that we're pulling out of this call today. So I really look forward to you diving in and listening to him. Fascinating guy with some fascinating findings. Enjoy. Say you want some clarity in sales and marketing and SEP. Well, we have just the remedy. Our podcast, DevOps Therapy. Hi, everyone. This is Jordan, and we've got the VP of Data Science from Outreach with us today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us what we need to know, and we'll jump into it today. Hello, everybody. My name is Pavel Dmitriev. I'm a Vice President of Data Science at Outreach. Uh, I've been there for just over four years, so I've seen it grow from a small company to a pretty big company now and sort of seen all of the <laughs> different ways a lot of trial and error of how to use ai and machine learning to improve sales well it's it's funny you say uh you know it was a very different place at the beginning uh, i think you joined outreach just when i was sort of leaving and we were at an interesting spot where we weren't quite this established company. We didn't know if we were going to make it. So I, I got to know what makes a data scientist decide that it would be a really good idea to join a startup sales company? Because usually you don't think of salespeople and data scientists as like, oh, this makes a ton of sense to go and let's work together. So what was the initial sort of draw to this company? Yeah, to be honest, uh, when many our CEO uh, messaged me on LinkedIn, my first uh, uh, sort of, my, my, my first uh, <laughs> uh, response to it was like, I'm not interested. I don't want anything to do with those spammers. 
who sent me all these unwanted emails. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. then, uh, as a data scientist, you know, I don't just just leave things to intuition. <laughs> so I dig a little bit into, did a little bit of research on it. Um, and what I found actually was very interesting. First, I found, okay, this is not about spammers. Actually, sales is so critical to economy and to like propagating new ideas and helping entrepreneurs succeed. Um, in fact, I found I myself do so much of sales type of work, and it's actually very painful when I have to like email people and message people when I uh, like um, when when I have to bring them together for various reasons, uh, and then. I also thought that this is actually a very unique opportunity, especially at that at that time, where AI and machine learning in sales was really kind of pretty much non non-existence. Uh, and the reason for this was that no one really in the past was able to put together all of the data throughout the whole life cycle. So everyone had pieces of data, like CRMs would have some metadata and calling tools would have call data, but no one had all of the data. Uh, and Outreach was actually doing it. It's bringing together all of the data. And so that's one very important uh, thing for a data scientist, to have complete data, as complete as possible. And the second thing that I liked is that success criteria in sales are so clear. Like at the end of the day, you either win a deal or you lose a deal. There is no gray area. It's uh, black or white, which is really not true in most of the applications in data science. Yeah, for example, I used to work uh, in Bing in a Microsoft search engine, and people come to Bing and they click around. Then good luck knowing did they actually find what they wanted or not. Like that's a whole area of research. The success criteria are not clear. And the data is also incomplete. Like people click on a website and then you don't know what they did after that. So that's sort of the world of most data science problems. But in sales, I thought, wow, this is, this is perfect. We just need to like really um, take the data, take our objective functions and optimize things. So that, that's why I joined. Well, that's, uh, I think, really interesting for you to get to the end conclusion that uh, with sales, you actually have a, an objective outcome. You close the deal, you didn't close the deal, so then you can start to measure to that. And the reason I think that's interesting is usually when you think about sales in general, you've heard the phrase that it's half sales and half art, right? And the, the top salespeople, they tend to think, that it's their art that makes them so good, right? Like it's my ability to work the the room or to have the conversation. And so sometimes when you get into the field of sales, you have this impression that it's so subjective. Well, you like this, but it's just a subjective thing. He likes that and it's a subjective thing. But actually it's not subjective. You win the deal, you don't win the deal. So there's a lot of actions in between there that you can measure in an objective way to figure out, well, does it move to close or not? So maybe it's not as, as like art related as you think. Um, so like, we'll come back to that in a second, but you walk into outreach on day one and you start to bump into, you know, these living, breathing salespeople. And like, I have to think like culturally, 
as it relates to data scientists in a sales world, there's just a lot to figure out there. Like, did you have any thoughts like these are crazy people or were you immediately like, this is going to be a lot of fun? Yeah, I think it was the latter. It sort of was a culture shock, but in the positive direction. Because if you think of like data scientists, engineers, they all sit the whole day in front of computer. We don't even talk to each other that much. Uh, and especially coming also from bigger companies, the level of energy is sort of low. You're sort of very much in your head, self self motivated, and and then you come to the sales area, and there is so much energy. Everyone is like bustling with enthusiasm. There is so much confidence that um, salespeople have. And like when, when I went to the sales conference, I was also shocked because all the keynotes are about like mental toughness, overcoming obstacles. And this is like, man, this is what I need. I have my science knowledge. I think I really need to learn that too like progress and grow in my career and frankly, in my personal life too. So I was super excited when I got exposed to the sales culture. Well, I think that makes you a little bit unique though, that you're, you know, so steeped in the science and the data of things, but at the same time, there's this sort of qualitative nature that like is meaningful uh, and, you know, that you tap into. Uh, so much so, I was sort of joking with you about this, that you're uh, you're what considered the great guru of yoga around outreach today. Like you're sort of, you've really leaned into thinking about things a little differently. Am I, am I off on that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. When I talk to other data scientists on my team, they all find it very complimentary. You know, there is a, actually a principle in yoga, since we're talking about that, is that the opposite, the opposite values are complementary. Yeah, like uh, there is high and low. If there was no low, everything would be flat. There would be no high. High would not have any meaning. So kind of that combination of deeply thinking about science and on the other hand, uh, people who are just go with their character and their feeling uh, like that combination can complete <laughs> the whole. And um, I think if you find, and that's what I feel like the application of data science and sales, it's not we replace salespeople with robots, is that we find the, the way to sort of bring these two pieces together. We can fully utilize the benefits of science and also uh, the uniqueness of every salesperson, how they do their work. So what was the first, maybe first one or two, like big things when you started to dive into the data that when you would talk to salespeople, the expectation was like A was going to happen, but after you looked at the data, you were like, no, like B is what occurs, not A. Were there any like early aha moments that sort of got the ball rolling? Yeah, there was a very interesting study that we did in, in the very beginning um, where we look at um, productivity of different salespeople. And then we also looked at, um, at, at the results of different salespeople. And then we looked at what they actually did and whether they followed the, the playbooks, the, the instructions that, you know, 
their uh, enablement team, their managers uh, tell them to follow. And we found a very surprising thing that the top performers did not actually quite follow the instructions. Uh, and the specific, the specific situation was there is how quickly do you jump on objections? Yeah, that everyone knows that if you get a positive reply from a prospect, you like jump on it right away. And the sooner you kind of talk to them, the better it is like that, that's known. But what about the objections? And what um, we found is that people who like jump on objections with the same urgency as on positive replies, actually, that's what all the top performers do. But uh, specifically in that situation that we studied, that was not the instruction. The instruction was to prioritize the positive and you know, objections. You can respond sometime, but there was no, no need to rush. And that turned out to not be true. And that really just um, was one example. And then later we found many others where the conventional wisdom uh, of what's best to do in sales was actually not true. That was Glassdoor, wasn't it? I think that was the first study, right? Like you, you went in, you were looking at objections with... Yeah, yeah that was a study we did with Glassdoor. So doesn't this... Uh, it's kind of interesting though, right? I mean, you're coming from outreach, which is in a lot of ways, like it systematizes the playbook. I know this is outside of that though, because this is responses. You automatically are using something like an outreach to get a response. But in some ways you're also saying, well the systemized playbook wasn't actually working and we found it over here. So was there anything on your mind that as you were thinking about like how outreach actually sort of enforces a playbook, how we need to be able to draw data from that like really quickly so the playbook actually works? Like was that part of the thought process? Yeah, I I think it's sort of, there, there is a process. I feel that sales industries and industries going through, which is sort of the similar process that all the other industries that undergone this AI and machine learning transformation have, have went through, which I think of consisting of three steps. There is a, first there is a standardization step where we have to, like we talked, uh, kind of get all of these different practices that different people are doing and sort of standardize on something. Uh, and that, that's what outreach does. It captures it in, in sequences. Uh, and that really allows both kind of predictability, but also it allows to quickly propagate best practices. Like one salesperson discovers this is a great way to you know, write an email. You just change a template and everyone is using it immediately. So that sort of standardization is the first step before kind of starting, starting to um, apply the data science. Then I think that second step is the automation, which usually follows. That's again, kind of outreach in the early days. That's what they did. You got the sequences and now you know, half of it is automatically executed. You only need to do the manual half and everything is being tracked and it's, it's very nice. And then the third step that goes on top of automation is uh, optimization. So that's, that's where we start kind of to your question, looking at these different um, processes, different sequences, and try to see, is it really, is it really the, best, the best way? Um, and there to do that, um, 
we first have to measure success. That's actually one of the challenges that uh, I, I found that outreach, that there are certain things at outreach and in sales in general that are pretty hard to measure, and we have to figure out how to measure them if we want to improve them. For example, you know, emails. Uh, everyone sends so many emails, but how, how would you evaluate whether my email template actually is working or not? And the, the only metrics that we actually had in the beginning were this open counts, reply counts, and click counts, or click rates, and open rates. But those, when we looked at it, we found that none of them are actually very good. Uh, reply rate is probably the best, but we've run, this was another kind of a surprising a study that we did. And we ran an experiment and we found that when we send more aggressive emails, we get more replies. And the more aggressive they get, the more replies are coming. With the only exception that those are not great replies. <laughs> those are all unsubscribe and don't contact me anymore. But <laughs> yeah, get away from metric, me. You know, the science, when you do science, we don't like personally examine every message. We need an automated way. When we look at the metric, reply rate is awesome going through the roof. So like figuring out those good metrics is uh, the first challenge. And once the metrics are there, then we can apply many, many methods. For example, A-B testing is what we use specifically to improve sequences and improve email templates. So you changed from reply rate. Now it's based on sentiment or it's based on meetings booked. Like what's the true north? Uh, just to close the loop on that topic. Yeah. Yeah. So what we found is that we need a new metric for emails because still, you know, 70% of sales communication is emails. And if you don't know how to measure it, uh, I don't know what we can improve. <laughs> uh, so what we came came up with is a machine learning model which evaluates replies and um, labels them as it's a positive reply or it's an objection or maybe it's a referral and even a lot more fine grain of what kind of objection or what kind of referral, what kind of positive response. And based on and based on that we can have a lot better a lot better metrics. So like our dashboards and outreach they have this positive replies. They have also unsubscribes. Um, we have not yet sort of merged all of it into one number. This is sort of the debates between do we want a black box metric, which actually doesn't mean anything. It's a combination of seven different things that mean something, or you just want to see clearly the components. And we thought we just show people components. Now, people are smart. They can make their decisions. But for our own, inside our own machine learning algorithms, we actually use all of those different features at the same time. That's the argument against indices in general, right? I mean, you can, uh, you, you find all these indices that try to put different data points together, and then you add it up, it creates a score, but then the question becomes, what does that score even mean, right? And like, and what is the major components that actually drive that score? Um, so I think I've heard, um, like I'm doing, I do some social science things from here and research from here and there. And that's what gets really hard is you get a lot of qualitative data that you try to convert to numbers. And then when you convert it to numbers, well, what does this even mean? And then you create an index, uh, which again, like may or may not even have value. So, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing what you're saying, right? 
Yeah, yeah, and there are situations where it makes sense, but I'm sort of coming back to what we were just discussing recently, that we are not trying to replace salespeople with machines and some automated metrics. We're really trying to make salespeople smarter by showing them this combinations, these different metrics that all make sense, so they, are, they, they understand better what is happening and they can make better decisions. So that, that's why we did not go the, the index route <laughs> in this case. How do you, like, uh, how do you mirror the idea, though, or, or put the idea together that, well, we're going to do machine learning to figure out what is a positive or a negative response rate, because uh, and you you sort of associate positive with good, um, you know, negative with bad. However, on that first glass door study that you did, you found out the best reps are the ones that respond to positive or negative responses at the same speed. So in some ways, just getting a response is actually half of the battle, and then how you handle the objection becomes really important. So, you know, as you're thinking about your models and you're putting some of this together, is a negative response, so far as it's not an unsubscribe, is that actually a bad thing looking through the lens of that first study that you did? Uh, we, we found that it's actually a good thing. Essentially, almost any response, unless it's an unsubscribe, is a good thing. Uh, and when we were debating, you know, that index, metric, we actually came up with some proposals and we discussed them and we assigned a certain numeric value. So a positive response would be a three and then a negative response uh, could be like a one or something like this, still a positive score uh, because uh, that's what uh, sales people are, are good at, turning around the objections. And any response really indicates some kind of interest. Like I personally do not re respond to most of the sales emails. If I respond to some, even if it's negative, it means that somehow it got me interested. So there is there is certainly value in in objection responses. So how do you uh, how do you convince a salesperson that that's the case? And what I mean by that is, uh, like my company, we'll write content for folks, we'll do some different things for folks, and obviously the higher the positive sentiment, the better things are. But even getting the idea across that, hey, look, even if you get a response that's quote unquote negative, like get in there. That's half the battle. Like we've actually got you further along than you thought. And the reason I say, how do you convince them is, um, you know, salespeople are, are notoriously stubborn. Uh, I'm positive, uh, and this is, I'm not saying anything about, you know, smarts or intelligence here. I'm just saying, you know, working with these personalities. If you come to them and you say, well, the probability of a type one error is less than 5% on this data that I'm presenting to you. Therefore, you know, negative responses are actually good responses. Um, I, I can see a whole room of salespeople saying, I don't buy it, right? So <laughs> once you get some of these findings, are you also involved in that process of, okay, how do we convince the salespeople this is true? Or do you like, you find the finding, you wash your hands and you say, all right, marketing or all right, enablement, you just take care of this for me. I got you the science, you figure out the training. Yeah, certainly, certainly I'm very involved. And that's actually one of the, those exciting parts of my job and the big perks at Outreach that we have 
customer in-house, our own sales team at Outreach is our customer and I can talk to them anytime. Uh, and we have a lot of back and forth on many of the features we developed. For example, now an answer to your question specifically for this, how do we convince people that uh, negative responses are good? We actually have a report in Outreach which shows performance of all the different uh, salespeople in the team. So we don't, uh, uh, and then different metrics, including how quickly they respond to positive uh, replies and how quickly they respond to negative replies. And we found that we really do not need to do any convincing. Like salespeople can look at the, at the table and see who are the high performers and what they are doing. And they'll see that the high performers are actually replying very quickly to negative responses. So they, I think if we have, that's kind of the power of those good metrics that really go to the core of what's important. That if we come up with those metrics and we just display them to people, everyone can make their own conclusions, the right conclusions out of it. It's not, it becomes sort of data speaks for itself rather than a persuasion type of a, a job. But your point though, how you present the data does also craft a narrative. Um, you know, the big, my, my wife's an accountant and the big joke that her and I talk about is, um, she says about the, she says, as long as the spreadsheet says zero over here in terms of expenses and bills and whatever, as long as this says zero, like nobody cares about what the rest of the data on the inside says, right? All I get from this is the na narrative that, oh, okay, I've paid my bills and I'm set. And all this on the back end, I don't even worry about. But, you know, as you think about it, there's a lot of different ways that you can pull data. There's a lot of different things that you can sum, you can percent, you can average, you can move over. And so while you're saying on the one hand, well, the data speaks for itself, there is a little bit of crafting though, right? Of like, even to your point of we should use an index or no, we shouldn't. Mm -hmm. uh, how do we present the data? Because we're certainly going to lead people to a narrative, right? Correct, correct, absolutely. Yeah, that's where all the back and forth with uh, our sales team and uh, the customers who we talk with before we release, even a simple feature like a dashboard, because we've very carefully chosen what we put in the dashboard so that we don't introduce noise and we really put the things that both uh, salespeople say it's important to them and we also internally validated that they actually matter that there is like a positive correlation between replying faster and uh, to negative re uh, responses and uh, um, making booking more meetings and uh, closing closing more deals so we we do this sort of a double the validation on the data side and then validation on the people side to make sure it's meaningful and it's uh, interesting and uh, they're willing to act on it. Uh, and when they act on it, actually they see themselves positive changes happening for them. So I, I think we have time for one more good question here. Uh, we, we talked about when you first got there and you walked in and some of the different changes that like behavioral changes that came from your data. Like, where do you see machine learning and AI? Like, what's the next frontier of things that 
you know, are about to be conquered in the whole sales world related to digesting a bunch of this data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like so far we have done um, within the sales world a pretty good, uh, within the sales domain, a pretty good job on, uh, you know, automating some of the mundane tasks. So that frees up people time. We also did done a pretty good job on kind of uncovering the black box and displaying what's going on, figuring out good metrics and showing it to people in a way that they can understand. I think where we are going next and what we have not yet quite um, um, succeeded in is providing good proactive recommendations. So sort of uh, a lot of the data science is a little bit passive right now in the sales area. We'll tell you about the topics and the sentiments and what's going good and what's going not good. But we are not telling you what to do to improve. We sort of relying on people to make that decision. And that's a much harder problem. And that's where also a lot of individuality of uh, different uh, companies and different sales processes come in. And that's why it's it's hard. It's not just kind of one size fits all type of an approach. But that's certainly where we are going of being able to really provide proactive recommendations. If you have a sequence, we don't just let you run an A-B test and try ideas, but we'll tell you what A-B test you should run, or maybe even automatically run some A-B test on that sequence if you allow us and keep improving it for you. So that sort of proactive uh, recommendation and uh, optimization is I feel where we are going in the near future. So when when you talk about A-B tests, you're talking about the potential. I just want to make sure I didn't hear you wrong. Of Somebody can flip a switch and say, hey, A-B test step two of this template. And the machine will change a couple of the words on its own. Uh, say this one wins. It'll start another thread and it'll change some of the template on its own and just start testing and iterating over and over and over again and picking winners. Is that what you're saying is potentially possible or am I hearing that the wrong way? Yes, that and even more, I would say, suppose you have a sequence, you just click a checkbox on the sequence and say, you know, automatically improve it for me. And then what we could do in the backend is um, not just like A-B test wording in a certain step, but we could think, okay, what, like first, do we have the right steps in the first place? Do we have too many steps or too few steps? Is it too manual or too automated? And are we, are we sending our emails at the right time of day? And are we waiting for the right time uh, between this email and the next action that needs to be taken? Uh, so all of these attributes, uh, we could optimize automatically uh, because there is, with the standardization again that Outreach provides, there is so much data across so many different industries on what are the different approaches being used, what's effective, what's not effective. And all of that uh, could be utilized, of course, in a kind of privacy compliant, compliant manner to, um, instead of relying on sort of the <laughs> word of mouth anecdotal best practices to find the real best practices, which are um, based on, on hard data. 
and then try all of this because you, you never know even if something is best practice, uh, your company may be very unique and that best practice may not apply. So we, we can use that best practices to generate hypotheses and then test those hypotheses just within every sequence for every specific company and automatically keep improving um, their processes over time. I, I feel like I could sit here and talk with you for another like three or four hours uh, <laughs> talking about some of this sales data and, and, and what we can measure and where it's going. But unfortunately, we, we've hit the time for today. Uh, so with that said, um, hopefully we'll have you back someday. And Pavel, thank, thank, you for, thank you for coming and joining us today. And you're welcome. It was great talking with you. All right. Thank you for the listeners for tuning in. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next time. Hot dog. That was a great episode. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about Greaser Consulting or any information you heard on today's episode, visit us online at www.greaserconsulting.com. Be sure to click the follow button and the bell icon to be notified on the latest here at RevOps Therapy. Thanks, and see you real soon.